Well, if you've ever been turned off by religion, Jesus was too. And Jesus said that he was a friend of sinners, which not only gives us hope as followers of Christ, but it gives us a responsibility to be a friend of sinners ourselves. Well, welcome to the Crossing. Glad that you are here. Glad that you weathered the rain to come out and be a part of the service today. So you love Jesus. Absolutely. And uh, we're glad to have you. We're in a series based on the life of Christ. And here's this premise for this series. It's this. It's the closer you get to Jesus, the more your life will change. This is what we believe. Is the closer that you get to Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, the more your life will begin to transform to be like his. And today, as we get up close and personal with Jesus, we're going to see how Jesus related to the religious, those who held on to religion as first in their life. I went to a Christian college, and I got my degree in biblical literature. And it was a great education, but there were a lot of rules at my school. Like one of the rules was how long your hair could be. Now, that was a rule for the guys. Um, there was a rule about not having any facial hair. That was for guys and girls. <laughs> but another rule was no TVs. They had a TV in the lobby of the dorm, but you couldn't have TVs in your dorm room. Well, the way that I got around this rule is I had a VCR in my room. Now, some of you don't know what a VCR is, but others of you will know what that is. That way I could take Miami Vice and David Letterman. And then on the weekend, somebody would bring a TV into my room, and we'd all catch up on all the shows all week long. Well, somebody came to my room one day as we're all watching. He says, I cannot believe that you call yourself a Christian and watch TV. Well, that's probably a problem for a lot of us in here. And I began to think about that, and I thought, well, the appropriate thing for him to have said would have been, well, you agreed to obey the rules, and this is one of the rules. But what he said is he associated the rule with being a Christian. The rule is no TVs, therefore Christians don't watch TV. That's legalism. That's religion. And when it comes to religion, we all have these assumptions about God. Assumptions that we grew up with, assumptions that might be based on good intentions, but they're not found in the Bible. And here is this false assumption that we have, is that good behavior equals God's acceptance. In order to gain credibility with God, we have to somehow behave ourselves. In order for God to notice us, in order for God to take our prayers seriously, In order for God to help us out, to gain acceptance with him, we better behave ourselves and keep all of the rules. Well, this is a false assumption that we make, but it was also this false assumption that Jesus came against. Jesus wanted to come against this false assumption that people have and that religion put on to the people. Well, we're in this series based on the, on the gospel of Mark. And Mark's agenda, as he's writing his gospel, he has a very specific agenda. It's to present the identity and purpose of Jesus. It's the identity of Jesus having authority over all things. And then his purpose of dying on the cross. And last week we looked at a story where, um, where Jesus claims to have the authority to forgive sins. And then he proves it by healing a paralyzed man. And the religious leaders just lost their mind. They called it blasphemy. Well, today, Jesus, we're going to look at where Jesus has authority over religion. 
And he makes a claim so outrageous, the leaders don't even have a word for it. They just decide that they're going to try to kill him. And Jesus does not claim to come to reform religion. What he claims is that he has come to end religion and replace it with himself. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 2, or if you have the Version app or the Crossing app, you can turn there as well. The area that bothered the Pharisees and the religious leaders the most is what Jesus would do on the Sabbath. One of the Ten Commandments was to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, that you should not work on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest. It's a day of worship and renewal. So to try to obey this command, the religious leaders had hundreds of rules of things that you could and you could not do on the Sabbath. Now, these were not things that were in the Old Testament. These were not part of the Old Testament law. These are rules that they made up. Like one of the rules is if you walked a mile, that would be work. So they said you can walk seven-eighths of a mile. And so on the Sabbath day, they would have these little huts that you could go into. So you would walk seven-eighths of a mile and you would sit in the hut sit there for a while, and then you could get up and walk another seven-eighths of a mile, and they said, that's not work. Well, another rule they had is they said that you couldn't wear shoes that were made with nails. If the sole was held on with a nail, because it had, had metal in it, that every time you lifted the metal, that would be work. These are some of the rules that they had. Well, because of this, it seemed like Jesus was always doing something on the Sabbath. He would heal people, and you could almost hear the religious leaders saying, can't you just wait one more day to heal this guy? I mean, why do you have to do it on this day? And one of the rules is that you couldn't harvest on the Sabbath, that you couldn't go into the field and work because that was considered work for them. We're going to pick up our story in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. It says, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, this is an agricultural area. And as the disciples were walking down the field, they're hungry, and they begin to eat some of the raw grain that's by them. And they say, your disciples are doing what is unlawful. Now, they are not accusing them of stealing. The Old Testament said that if you were traveling and there was heads of grain that along the road that you could take it, that you could take a snack and eat it, the accusation is that they are harvesting the grain. That I don't know if you grew up on a farm. I don't know if you've ever been farming or seen it or seen a movie about farming, but farming is hard work. And to accuse them of harvesting the field because they pick some heads of grain to eat is like saying that I must play for the NFL because I have a Chiefs jersey. I mean, it's ridiculous. What they're saying is ridiculous. So verse 25, he, he answered, Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he his companions were hungry and in need? And when he says, have you never read, this is a low blow. Because not only have they read it, they probably have it memorized. But this is more than an insult. What Jesus is doing to them, he's pointing out that their own laws and traditions have become more important than God's word. He says, in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Now, this is a story that's in 1 Samuel chapter 21. 
And David was on the run from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. David had been anointed by God as the next king, but he was not king yet, and Saul wanted to kill him. And so he comes to the tabernacle, he is hungry, he's famished, he asks for some bread to eat. And the only bread available is the consecrated bread, which would have been meant only for the priest. But because David is in need, and because he has been anointed and on a mission for God, he and his men were allowed to eat the bread. Now Jesus brings up this story about David saying, you aren't saying that David was wrong, are you? Because for them, Moses and David and Abraham were untouchable. And then he said to them, verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That they missed the whole point of the Sabbath, that man was not made for the Sabbath. See, it's not like God had all of these rules and thought, you know, I have these great laws. I need to create some people to keep them. That's not how it worked. Jesus says, you've got it backwards. The law is important and people are important. But God didn't create the law and then create people. God created people and then he created the law. The law is for people, not people for the law. Let me put this another way. Parents don't have children so that there'll be someone to pick up the toys. And let me land here for just a minute because this is a big deal. This right here is a big deal because we have all grown up in different kinds of families, have different kind of backgrounds. But if you grew up in a home where your parents were all about the rules, that you never break the rules, you never bend the rules because rules are rules, then your house was very orderly, but you couldn't wait to get out of the house and you probably never went back because that's what that environment does. Great parents set rules. And then when it's appropriate and they feel like it's in the best interest of their children, they break the rules. Bedtime is at 8 o'clock. We go to bed at 8. But tonight, there's something special that's going on so you can stay up past your bedtime. We go to school every day. But tomorrow, we're going to Disneyland so you can skip school tomorrow. Great parents decide that their children are more important than the rules the parents set. God is the perfect Heavenly Father. God is the perfect father, and he did not create people for the law. He created the law for people. He created it to protect them, to protect us, because God is for you. God's not against you. God is on your side. He's created all of what he's done to protect you. Then in verse 28, Jesus says, So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Jesus could have claimed the authority to change the Sabbath by saying, I am Lord over the Sabbath. But he does something deeper, and I want you to catch this. Because the Sabbath, the actual meaning of the word Sabbath means a deep rest, a deep peace. And he says, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying, I am the ultimate source of rest. That peace is found through me. 
And in the Gospel of Mark, Mark wants to emphasize Jesus has authority over religion. So he is going to record two stories back to back. And in chapter 3, the next verse over, he's going to tell another incident that happened on another Sabbath day because he wants us to get this point of Jesus having authority over religion. Mark chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Apparently, Jesus must have healed a lot of people on the Sabbath um, because when they come in, they see this guy who has this issue, and they're watching Jesus. They want to see what he's going to do. See, their traditions would allow them to provide medical attention to save a life, but that's it. So if someone fell off a cliff and cracked their head open, you could stop the bleeding to save their life, but you couldn't set a broken leg because that was not life-threatening. So since this guy's shriveled hand is not life-threatening, it would have been illegal for him to be healed on the Sabbath. But Jesus wants to make a point because he is Lord of even the Sabbath. It says, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. He could have done it, you know, quietly just to show compassion, but Jesus wants to make a point so that everyone sees what's happening here. He wants everyone to know something. It says, then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill it? But they remained silent. See, Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. Because if a sheep would have fallen into a pit, it would have been okay to pull that sheep out of the pit, even though that was work. And this same story is in Matthew chapter 12. The same story. And in that story, it says, Jesus says, isn't a person more important than a sheep? Isn't a person more important than a sheep? So he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? Jesus is, in other words, saying, To know that we can do good and choose to do nothing is to do evil. Verse 5, but he looked at them in anger. It's not the only time Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry at the religious people other times. Remember, he went into the temple twice and he overturned the tables because they were ripping off the people who were going in to make sacrifices. They were taking the places where the Gentiles could go and worship. Jesus was angry. It says, he looked around in them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus is angry because the Sabbath is about restoration. It's about replenishing the weary. It's about repairing the broken. And to heal this this man's shriveled hand is exactly what the Sabbath was about. But they place their traditions and rules over a human need. And that's what religion does. See, religion has its place. Religion helps us. But it should never be first place. Because when religion is first placed, then leaders become self-righteous. Because leaders are the ones who make the rules. And so they make sure that that they can keep all the rules and they can bend the rules when they want to bend the rules and they kind of put those on other people and leaders become self-righteous and then followers become hypocrites because no one can keep all the rules. No one can keep all the standards. And so what happens is when you can't do that, you just want everyone to think that you can and you become this hypocrite. You become something that you're really not. When religion 
becomes first place. When it comes first place, leaders become self-righteous and followers become hypocrites and people get mistreated. People get mistreated. See, Jesus is not religion 2.0. Jesus is not an option that you add on to all the other options. Jesus is the option. And you can either follow Jesus or you can be religious, but you can't be both. You have to choose. John chapter 5, here's how Jesus says this. He says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life, that Jesus is the point, that Jesus is the option. And here's what we learn, is that, that Jesus is the end of religion. Jesus is the end of religion. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the law and prophets. He says, I came to fulfill them, that he is the end of religion. So what can we learn from this? Because my guess is there's probably a lot of you in here who've been abused by religion in the past. Maybe you walked away from it for a long time and you thought that you would never be part of it again and you're just making steps back in and that's part of your story of being here at the crossing. Maybe you've been, been a part of that, that culture. Maybe you've been kind of on the outside of that culture where you weren't allowed to be in. I just want to get real practical here. And I just want to speak to you from my heart about this whole idea. And I want to share just a few things with you. And here's the first, is that the end of religion means that pride is replaced with surrender. The end of religion means that pride is replaced with surrender. The reason that Jesus went after the religious leaders was because of their pride. The religion gives us a checklist. I've read this, I've done that, I've attended more, and I can compare what I've done to what you haven't done, and then I can take pride in my accomplishments. But pride is not a currency in the kingdom of God. Pride is not a currency that God cares about. Jesus requires surrender. It's not about keeping the rules so you can be prideful. It's about total surrender to Jesus. That the end of religion means that, that pride set aside. It's replaced with surrender. Here's the second thing. The end of religion means that tradition is replaced with mission. That all of those traditions are replaced with mission. Here's our mission here at the crossing. Our mission is to help people discover Jesus in the journey. It's been our mission since day one. It's still our mission to help people discover Jesus in the journey. I've been at churches that worship tradition and completely disregard the mission that Jesus gave to us. Maybe you've been at churches like that too. I love what Craig Groeschel says. Craig Rochelle says, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ. That's mission. That's saying we have a mission to reach people. I was talking to somebody just a few months ago from another church, and he said to me, this is what he said, he goes, he says, my pastor says that you don't preach the truth. Well, that right there, I mean, I kind of stepped back there for a second. I didn't know what to say. And then I said, you need to tell your pastor he needs to watch himself late at night in dark alleys. <laughs> I did not say that. I, I did not say that. I wanted to say that, but I did not say that. One of the reasons why so many non-Christians are turned off by Christianity is because Christians can't even get along with each other. 
And there's so many people that have this attitude that we're right and everyone else is wrong. So let me just say, I want you to hear this from me, that we are for other churches. And if they criticize us, and they will, and they do, and I hear it, people go, do you know what they say? Yeah, I know. I I heard. But we are for them. As long as they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believe in God's word, we are for other churches. And style does not matter. It does not matter whether the pastor preaches expository or topical. It doesn't matter whether the church uses an organ or uses drums. It doesn't matter whether they have fog or don't have fog. It doesn't matter whether they dress up or they dress casual. Get over style. Get over tradition. Jesus gave us a mission to reach people, period. See, the end of, the end of religion means that pride is replaced with surrender means the tradition is replaced with mission. And it means that achieve is replaced with receive. Some of you are here today because of what you did last week. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad that you're here. But you told yourself it was a bad week. I can't believe that I did it again, so I'm going to go to church. God, do you see me here? I mean, check mark. I've made up now for what I did last week. And God is like, are you kidding I mean, do you think you're tricking me or something? Because religion says that. Religion says that you have to achieve. And Jesus came along and said, no, you just have to receive. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, that you are trying to earn your way to God, and you can never earn your way to God. You can never be good enough. The Pharisees spent their entire life trying to achieve something, and Jesus comes along, and he says that the kingdom of God is available to anyone who will receive me. That that achieve is replaced with receive. You just have to receive. It is nothing that you have done. It is what Jesus has done for you. Here's the last one. The end of religion means that my view is replaced with you. That my view is replaced with you. And when I say my view, I'm not talking about the Word of God. Because when the Bible speaks, we will speak. We will hold fast and tight to the Word of God. We will stand on the truth of this. I will die for this. I will die for the fact that Jesus is the one and only Son of God and salvation comes only through Him. But when the Bible is silent, we need to be silent. That I'm not going to let my view or my opinion, I'm not going to use them to abuse you. That we can never let our opinions be used as an excuse to not value people. And listen, this is a big deal to me right now. We are not going to reach the world through obnoxious Facebook posts. Please stop. It's time for us to bring together. We're not going to reach the world like that. That my view needs to be replaced with you. And what I mean by this is that you are more important than my view, my opinion. You're more important than my opinion. It's what Jesus brought us to do. And if we can just get rid of some of this religious stuff, I just wonder what God might begin to do through us and through you, through your life, through my life. When people start looking at us and go, I could do that. I don't want to do church again, but I could do that. 
I could be like them. See, Jesus says that we become the salt and the light, that we become the influencers of our society when we begin to act like that. Well, I didn't read the last verse of this scripture in Mark, the story where Jesus heals the man with the shriveled hand. The last verse says this. It says, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians were the supporters of Herod. Herod was the, the family of these corrupt kings who ruled Israel. I'll talk more about this family of kings here in a couple weeks. But the Herodians were these modern cosmopolitan. They were with the times. And the Pharisees upheld these traditional values. And these two groups hated each other. They were longtime enemies until now. And now they agree Jesus must go. They must get rid of Jesus because they don't like what he says. And I wonder if there's just a portion of that that's still around today. Because the gospel of Jesus is offensive to the religious and the anti-religious. The group that identifies with keeping the rules and the other group that is open-minded deciding, you just decide what's right for you and it's right. And both are hostile to the message of Jesus. Because the gospel doesn't say the good are in and the bad are out. And it doesn't say that the open-minded are in and the judgmental are out. The gospel says anyone who surrenders to Jesus is in. You're in. And maybe you've wondered if you could have a relationship with Jesus. You want to know how you can? You receive him. And you're in. That you surrender your life to him. And you're in. And maybe your past comes from one of these backgrounds. Maybe it was really religious. I'll tell you, the gospel is going to be offensive to that. And maybe you come from a background that was anti-religious, very irreligious, and the gospel is going to be offensive to that. But the gospel has the power of salvation to everyone who believes. That's the power of the gospel. And Jesus didn't die for precepts and principles. Jesus died for people. Jesus didn't die for rules. Jesus died for rule breakers. And Jesus didn't even die for sin. Jesus died for sinners. And Jesus didn't die for a few. He died for you. And I want to close just reading you the words of Jesus. It comes out of Matthew chapter 11. I'm going to read out the message translation. This is what Jesus said right before this incident of this man being healed on the Sabbath. He says, are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. And watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I just wonder if Jesus is saying to anybody in this room, come to me. You have these heavy burdens that you brought in here? Come to me. You're weary and tired? Come to me. That Jesus 
brings life. Jesus brings life. And maybe there are some of you who are ready to take a step in a direction to follow Jesus. Today's your day. Today's your day. Jesus says, if you'll surrender, you're in. You come to me. Maybe you have been in religion a long time and you're tired. Jesus says, I, I've got a new way. So I want to pray with you. I just want to ask that you just bow your heads. And if you're wanting to start a relationship with Jesus, you can do that right now and take that first step. Say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm asking that you'd be my Lord and my Savior, my forgiver of my sins. God, we thank you for coming and being involved in our lives personally. That Jesus didn't come to bring us a new set of rules. That Jesus came to bring freedom into our life. And God, for those right now who are taking first steps with Jesus, God, I pray that you would meet them right where they are. God, that you would come alongside them. God, for those of us who might be weary, have some heavy burdens. God, I pray that you would take those burdens and you would give rest. So Jesus, we submit our life to you. We surrender to you. And we pray this in your name. Amen.